Today on episode number 697, I've got a conversation with a podcast advertising expert. It's Heather Osgood from truenativemedia.com. You're going to find out everything you ever wanted to know about getting sponsors in your podcast. Hit it, ladies! The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I am your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you are new to the show, this is where I help you start your podcast and grow your influence. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription. And of course, you can also order the courses a la carte. And don't forget that there is a 30-day money-back guarantee. Today, we have an interview with Heather Osgood. I've known about Heather for years and finally got to meet her at She Podcast. We had a phenomenal conversation. And then on the way home, when I was flying back, I found her podcast, Market Success with Podcast Advertising. And it was just like, wow, that's good. Wow, that's good. Wow, that's good. And immediately got off the plane in Cleveland and said, you have to come on my show. So here's my conversation with Heather Osgood. She helps people with sponsors. It's the one, the only Heather Osgood. Heather, how's it going? It's going great, Dave. How are you? I am doing, I'm not unwell or borderline swell. Take your pick. (laughs) But I've been listening to your podcast and it's phenomenal because it just got your interviewing advertisers who are then saying, here's what podcasting has done for me. And so I definitely want to talk about that. But what I also want to talk about is so many podcasters, as I was uh, rewriting my book about podcast monetization, everybody's like, I think it's from radio or whatever. When they first start a podcast, they're like, yep, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to get a sponsor. And uh, sometimes there's a, a slight rude awakening or maybe they're just, they're uninformed maybe on what it takes to to get a sponsor. So can you share some some insights into that if somebody's thinking, maybe I'll get a sponsor, maybe I should or whatever that, what do, what do we need to get a sponsor? Well, there are lots of different things that you need to get a sponsor. Um, but the first and the most important is your audience size. And I know that we can talk on and on about how your numbers aren't the most important thing. Um, and I've heard Rob Walsh say uh, that if you were speaking to a room of 200 people, that that would feel like a lot of people. And it is a lot of people. But you have to really look at the audience size in relation to what an advertiser is trying to reach and then really compare what you're able to offer them to what they could get in other, you know, other platforms. So if you've got a company and they're looking to reach hundreds of thousands, millions of people through marketing and advertising, they could go on Facebook and easily reach those people. They could do Google AdWords and easily reach those people. And so is your audience going to deliver real value for them in terms of reach? And you, you kind of have to start there because of course, there are lots of things that you can offer a sponsor and things that are important, like your message and your partnership and the the audience members that you have formed great relationships with. But if that is only going to reach 25 people, they would be money ahead to walk around and hand out $100 bills to get people to come and shop at their store or buy their product. So you have to really look at, can you offer a, a big enough audience that the advertiser is really going to gain traction with their marketing goals if they advertise on your show? And so the the... 
$25 million question, how many downloads do I need then? That is such a good question. And I get that question a lot. Every hour, probably. Every hour. Yeah. It all depends Mm. on how you are going to be selling ads and what you're going to offer with that. So my company, Trinative Media, helps partner podcasts with sponsors. And if you're going to use a third party like our company, there are certain standards that you have to kind of, um, you know, live up to. When I first founded the company four years ago, I looked at mid-roll as an example of what could be created. And at the time, you needed to have 50,000 downloads per episode in a 30-day period in order to work with them. And I felt like, hey, 50,000 is awesome, but what percentage of podcasts have that? And what could we offer that was on a lower level? So we started... And when I first started, I took 1,000 downloads per episode, but since have changed that. And you know, so for us, we're currently looking for shows that have 10,000 downloads per episode in a 30 day period. However, if you're selling ads on your own and you're going to have a podcast ad in- included, you're going to have a blog post, you're going to do social posts, you're going to put them in your newsletter, there can be a lot of value that you can offer to an advertiser. And if you, the podcaster, go to that you know, potential company, you can sing your praises much better than a third party like mine can because I'm not just talking about one podcast, I'm talking about 20 podcasts. And so it really depends on how you want to position your ad sales. Um, the benefit, obviously, of going with a third party is you don't have to do all that work. We do that work for you, um, but you do have to have a larger audience. So what are some of the, I guess, things that confuse podcasters when it comes to numbers? Because there are so many numbers. I mean, you mentioned the the 10,000 per episode. What mm-hmm. Are there numbers that people throw at you that they think are good, but they're not? Yeah, absolutely. I think that understanding your numbers is one of the most important parts of podcasting if you want to get sponsors. If that's not your goal, then numbers might not be that important to you. But if you want to get sponsors, it's really important for you to understand your numbers. And I think for me, some of the numbers that are interesting but not relevant are how many downloads your show has received in its lifetime, right? So frequently we'll have people who say, oh, I've gotten 250,000 downloads or I've hit the million download mark, which is amazing. Like give yourself a pat on the back and, you know, a fist pump. But that isn't really what is important when we're thinking about sponsors. So when we're thinking about sponsors, the sponsor wants to know how many people are they going to get in front of? So how many people are going to hear their message? And there are a couple of different ad types in the space right now. So ads originated with baked in ads or embedded ads. So when you produce your podcast episode, you record that ad. And when you publish it, that ad is part of that episode and it stays there and it lives on essentially for as long as it's out there. Um, So that's a baked in ad. And if you're looking at selling baked in ads, then the only number we're really curious about or interested in is how many downloads you're getting per episode in a 30-day period because that's what the advertiser can expect. They can expect that within a 30-day period, they know that roughly 10,000 people could hear their ad. It doesn't matter that you've gotten 250,000 downloads over the course of the lifetime of the show because they're not getting in front of those 250,000 people. And 
you know, the other big number that people like to throw around is how many downloads they're getting per month, which is again, a good number. But if you're doing baked in ads, it's irrelevant. Um, If you're doing dynamically inserted ads, then we care about how many downloads you're getting per month. So it's important to understand the type of ad you'd want to do and the number that is important for that ad type. And I know, I believe ACAST announced last week that they are now IAB certified, which I believe is now like, I think we're up to like 10 different companies now that are IAB certified, which is this big industry standard. How important is that at this point? Are advertisers coming in and saying, hey, we're thinking about getting into the advertising space, but we're only dealing with people that are IAB certified? I see it as being very important. Um, We talk about it a lot. Again, it gets back to who you're selling ads to. If you have a specialty podcast and you're only looking to reach resume writers um, and they're really happy with the 200 people that you reach in your career podcast, then that's perfect. And they could care less about IAB certification. But if you are looking to go more mainstream with your advertisements and your sponsors, then you're going to need to know that agencies out there are very curious about it. I mean, um, even just, gosh, I think it's probably been this last week, one of the agencies we dealt with said, we have to know who the hosting providers are of all of your shows, which that's a first for us, for them to be so insistent on knowing the hosting provider, because they want to make sure that these numbers are actually real numbers and not inflated. And Um, If your hosting provider is not IAB certified, then they are most likely giving you inflated numbers. And what blows my mind is when we deal direct with advertisers and we have those direct advertisers asking if these podcasts are IAB certified. To me, when we're getting to that level of conversation with a company that's never done podcast advertising before, but is asking about it, that means that it's really important and it is really relevant. Interesting. Are there any hosts that people will just go, nope, not going to work with that? Um, (laughs) Can we answer that question or not? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so I think, yes, there are um, some. I think probably the most notorious is SoundCloud. So SoundCloud is just one of those platforms that wasn't necessarily really created for podcasts. And I don't even know if they care about IAB certification, but my experience has shown me that when we've taken shows who have been on SoundCloud and transferred them to other hosting providers, their numbers go down significantly. So um, I think that that is a platform that a lot of people, especially newer podcasters, just think, oh, SoundCloud's a great place to be. And their numbers are just really not super accurate. So you have to really do your homework when you are starting a podcast or even if you're on a hosting provider right now that's not IAB certified. It really is important. And if you are really wanting to monetize your show through ads, I would highly recommend that you choose a hosting provider that is IAB certified. Well, and speaking of hosting providers, do most podcasters know who their hosting provider is? Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me kind of going to different events and having different conversations with podcasters, how it isn't uncommon for someone to not understand their hosting provider. Um, I would say most of, I, I mean, I don't know that I've ever met a, a podcaster who isn't aware. Nope, that's not true. I have. I've met podcasters <laughs> who are unaware of who their hosting providers are. But I think a lot of times 
it's one of those background things, right? It's like you, you've set it up and yeah, maybe you go in there once a week or once a month and publish your episodes, but you're not interacting enough with the platform. Um, and you maybe don't understand the company that you've chosen. Maybe you watched a YouTube video about how to set up a podcast and they recommended a hosting provider. So you just went with them. So I really encourage podcasters to understand their hosting providers, understand the terms of the contracts that they've signed with these hosting providers and what ramification that has on their even ability to sell ads sometimes, right? So you have to really know the hosting provider. You have to know the information they're providing you. And you have to make sure the information they're providing you is correct and that you understand it, right? Because so often you know, I'll meet with people and they'll say, Oh, I just never look in here. My editor is in here. I have no idea what all these numbers mean. And I think, you know, that's an issue. You need to understand your hosting provider and your numbers. Well, you mentioned dynamic advertising, which is for anyone who's like, what the heck is that? That is where people basically, they take your file. And in most cases, from what I've seen, you go in and you say, Hey, put an ad right there. And then you you scroll down and a little bit further and you say, and put maybe one here at the beginning or the end or whatever. And the cool thing is when you then publish your file, that advertisement gets stitched right into your your MP3 file. And the beautiful thing is, like, I believe comedians do this a lot. They'll be like, hey, I'm going to be at the laugh, you know, the chuckle hut in Poughkeepsie. And you can actually geotarget that and say, look, only put this within a, a 50 mile radius. And then, you know, the month after that, they're going to be at, you know, whatever the laugh factory in LA and they'll put in a new ad that says, Hey, if you're in the area, come and see me. So I know some people love dynamic ads. I personally, the, the one that gets me, and maybe you can comment on this is there are companies out there with very generic dynamic ad insertion. And I'm not making this up. You're making 0.0017 cents per download. I don't believe that's what you're talking about when you say dynamic ads or is it? No, it's not. And I think that it's really important to understand the difference. So there's essentially three ad types in podcasts. There are the baked in ads, which we talked about. There are dynamic insertion ads, and then there are programmatic ads that are out there. So when I say dynamic insertion, I think a lot of people think of it as being a programmatic ad. Host red ads are super important to me. I think they're super important to the industry. And a host red ad happens when you as the host receive a product, you sample the product, you create an ad based on your experience with the product. And that is what sets the industry apart. Nobody likes ads, right? Even me being in the ad industry, I don't like ads. However, if an ad is designed well, if it's interesting, if the host has put some thought behind it, if the ad feels similar in format and content to the rest of the show, I'm already listening to the show. You've just created something engaging for me to listen to. I'm much more likely to actually listen through that ad. So for me, it's really important that we we maintain the host read ad. It's where the value is and the the value to the advertiser, the value to the listener, because we would much rather listen to an ad like that. And also the price point, right? So when you as a host are putting all of this time and energy into creating an ad, that warrants a certain price level. But the minute that we get into these pre-produced ads, suddenly the price can plummet, right? Because what have you really done for that advertiser? You've provided an audience and that's essentially it. So 
programmatic ads tend to be, um, are always produced ads where they're just looking at the demographic that you're reaching. They're saying, hey, we're going to put this ad out here um, and it's going to be pre-recorded. We're going to put it and, you know, we want to reach women ages 25 to 54. So if you are that demographic, maybe um, at this income level, we're going to try and reach you. Um, it's pre programmed and it is um, dynamically inserted in terms of the technology that's being used. The so that that is an option and that is out there. And and most of the time those are called like marketplaces. And um and I can see the value of those because a lot of times people will sell like remnant inventory, which means like, you know, you have an episode coming out tomorrow and you that episode isn't sold or it has ad opportunities. If, why not put the ad out there, right? So it, you could use that thinking if you're interested in that. The real value of dynamic ad insertion is when we take a host red ad and we use the technology of dynamic ad insertion. And essentially how dynamic ad insertion works is you take your file. So you take your MP3 um, file and you insert it into your hosting provider. And then like you said, you put these ad marks in and you say, I want an ad at minute 10 and I want an ad at minute 20 and I want to add here and there. And then the computer takes your host red ad that you produced that you, you know, that sounds just like your content and it inserts that ad. But the beauty is, is it can insert that ad into your back catalog as well as your current episodes. And I think it's really important for us to think about the idea that it doesn't matter when content is created, it matters when content is consumed. Mm. So if I'm consuming some content today, I'm a viable customer for sponsors and advertisers. It doesn't matter if you created that podcast episode two years ago. So you can reach a huge group of people listening to your show with dynamic ad insertion, and it can still be host read and still bring all the benefits that other types of ads can bring. Nice. I have heard the, uh, have you heard the new phrase for that? When it's a well done host read ad that is dynamically ins inserted, it's now faked in <laughs> instead of baked in. And I was like, all right, I, I think I like that. Yes, that I like that too. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong. And to me, there's nothing wrong with that. No. And I think the issue is, is that when people think that by doing dynamic insertion, that means that it has to be all these pre-recorded ads. You can do pre-recorded ads that are produced from, you know, just like a radio ad on your podcast, but you don't have to do that. And if you can stick with the host read ads and just insert them on a dynamic basis, that brings so much value to you and your listeners and the advertiser. Yeah, because you could simply, let's say you had a product that you're going to promote for a month. You could basically have one ad for, you know, generic product here. And then mm -hmm. next week, go in and record another gen same product, but just record a different ad just so it's not the same. Yep. And it'll populate your entire back catalog. So, yeah, the thing I'm always worried about, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, is I probably have people thinking dynamic ad insertion is bad because of, is, what, what did you call it? Program I cannot say the Programmatic. word. Programmatic where you get almost nothing. And it's not so much dynamic ad insertion is not bad. It's, it's in some cases how you're using it. And I will have many people say, Hey, point zero zero one seven is better than a poke in the eye, which is true, I guess. But uh, that's where I kind of go. Mm, 31 cents for a, uh, you know, 300 downloads. I'm like, I'm not really sure. Not for me at least, but that's. Well, me. And I, 
I think, yes, the, the issue is, is that when you sell something, you know, if, if you are used to buying a coffee for 50 cents, it's really hard for you to go and buy it for $5, right? And if you're selling your show right now for a super cheap amount, how are you expecting to increase that? And uh. where's the value? So it's really important to consider not... I, I think it's really important not to undersell your product. Do you think a lot of people do that? I don't see a ton of people doing that in podcasts. I think people actually probably oversell their shows more than mm-hmm. undersell them in podcasting is what I have seen. But I do think that I see it more in on an agency level. So I think that there are certain agencies in this space that undersell the value of podcasting. And to me, why not start high and go low? That's a much better tactic than starting low and going lower. Yeah, that's not good. A race to the bottom. Let's see who can exactly. get there. Exactly. Right, right. Well, what are some of the expectations? Because you work both with podcasters and you also work with advertisers. They're kind of new to this whole thing in some cases. Although um, the thing I love about your show, it is so great. If you want to get a great example of how to use podcasting for your business, go listen to your show. Again, you can find it at truenativemedia.com. Because if you have anybody that goes, eh, not really sure if I should put money into podcast advertising. All you have to do is go, go listen to my show. And what's great about it is it, A, it, it shows, puts you as the expert, gives people clear advice that, wow, does podcast advertising work? And then you then already have that relationship with them to go, well, actually I can help you with that. So has the podcast brought you any business? Have people said, oh, I heard your podcast and you know I'm interested in working with you? Not yet. Okay. But I'm sure that it will. And and really, I created the podcast because so often when I talk to brand new advertisers, they say, well, how do I make podcast advertising successful, right? So they're looking to us to create the um, framework for a successful campaign. And to me, it's it's great to look to current advertisers who have been in this space, who have created success. You know, one of the advertisers we work with is Text Expander. And he's probably my very favorite um, example because the very first time I met with the founder, he said, yeah, we've been doing podcasts for like 10 years. And I was like, what? (laughs) You've you've been doing what? You know, but he has so much experience. Like he knows how to leverage podcast advertising and they get a huge return on their investment because they have tested the medium and they have tried it out. And so we really wanted to create the podcast as a resource um, you know, kind of like mini case studies where advertisers could go and check out the show and and see how other people are succeeding in the space. Of course, we could create a, a PDF or a video, but we're in podcasts. We have to have a podcast. <laughs> are you running into advertisers that maybe have expectations that aren't always based in reality? Are they expecting like, hey, the, the episode came out yesterday. You know, we didn't get 10,000 sales. basically what's would you tell them what is what is a typical expectation for an advertiser yeah i mean that's such a great question i think the one of the biggest things that we run into is that digital marketing has really changed the expectation level of advertisers and marketers so i started my career in radio and print and you know, we took them, I love, you know, looking at Arbitron numbers and saying like they're arbitrary because really like when I was selling radio advertising, we used Arbitron like it was the Bible, but really the numbers are pretty much 
irrelevant, you know? So, you know, with radio ads, with newspaper ads, like you really don't know for sure what you're getting and what you're reaching. And so there was so much gray that happened, but then digital advertising came along and now you can target people on such a minute level with digital marketing and with digital ads that it's very difficult to compete with that because advertisers have this expectation that they're going to be able to know so much in-depth information about who the audience is up front. And then on the back end, they're going to be able to know exactly who listened to their ad. And we just don't have that information. And there have been um, some, you know, some advancements, uh, you could say, with some different attribution platforms that have come about. And of course, there's um, talk about privacy issues around those attribution models. But there is some traction that is being made around metrics in podcast advertising, but there still isn't a lot of concrete information. And so marketers come to the table and they like want all of this rich data that we can't provide. And so it's very challenging in that regard. So I try to tell marketers, hey, you buy TV ads all the time, or you buy radio ads all the time, or newspapers or magazines, and you don't know all of this exact content. And so it's okay that you don't know all of the data in podcast advertising. So it's almost like we're right in the middle between like offline and online marketing and and it can be challenging. So yeah, that that's an issue. Yeah, they're used to the Facebook thing where give me uh, guys between the ages of 38 and 40 who have an iPhone 6 with 38 gigs on the second Tuesday of the month whose mother's name is Mildred. And they're like, yep, right here, I got it. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. It's a little, little spooky. You mentioned some, some attribution that has come on board that gives us more information. Is that something you can expand on? Cause I'm like, really? (laughs) Yeah, there, there are a couple of, well, there, there's more than a couple, but there's, there's a couple, I would say of front runners in this space. And yeah, essentially they use a prefix on your RSS feed so that when your listeners come to listen to your show, they get routed through that prefix first. So they're able to see who's listening to your show. And then they uh, they put a pixel to track um, traffic on the advertiser site. And then through attribution, we're able to see like, oh, this person from this, I believe it's IP address has come to us. Um, and they also listened to this podcast. So we could assume they came to us because of the podcast. They, of the podcast. The challenge with that is that there are privacy conversations that are happening happening because you, the listener, haven't necessarily agreed to be tracked, right? Yeah. Um But if that weren't an issue, I would say that they are very good solutions and at least give us some idea. So that because right now in this space, advertisers are using really a direct response model, which is, you know, we've all heard like, give us the promo code, go to the unique URL. And and the reality is, is that people don't use those, right? I mean, a, a percentage of the population does, but by and large, People don't use unique URLs and promo codes. So the advertiser is saying, hey, this didn't work for us, but how do they know it didn't work? And so having uh, you know, an attribution platform allows us to say, hey, you thought no one came from this campaign, but actually 300 people came and 20 of them bought stuff. And then all of a sudden, the advertiser gets excited about what is happening And so I think that as an industry, we just have to continue to work on ways that we can make the medium more attractive to advertisers. 
Is there a um, kind of a default percentage that advertisers feel? Well, we don't, we know that only X amount of people use the code. Is there like an industry standard of like, Hey, you can put out a code, but only X amount of people are going to use it. I want to say it was match.com. I ran a campaign with them a few years ago now. And when I talked to them, they had a multiplier like down. They knew for sure, like, oh, if X number of people use the code, then that means that, you know, based on our research that actually this many people actually came and purchased. There isn't an industry standard. It really does vary by, you know, a company and advertiser, right? Because going out and buying a mattress is going to be a very different purchase than maybe a meal delivery or a skincare product. So their their kind of multipliers are going to change based on their industry. And the hope for me always is that if an advertiser is wanting to use a direct response method with a promo code or with a unique URL, that they have enough information that they know what their audience or, or ideal customer is going to respond to and they know what kind of multiplier to assign to that. Nice. And what's the shortest campaign you would advise anybody to run? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish that I could say there's like a specific answer There are different ways to create campaigns. So a lot of the big advertisers go um, with a campaign that I I look at as being really shallow and wide. Mm -hmm. So the average podcast listener listens to seven podcasts a week, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're going to have some crossover, right? So how many of us have heard ZipRecruiter ads, right? Like... And how many times have we heard ZipRecruiter ads on multiple shows? So what they're doing is they're banking on this idea that you, the podcast listener, are going to hear their ad not only on you know, podcast A, but podcast B, C, and D. So collectively, they're looking at how many impressions they can receive across their entire podcast campaign. And that's why they're okay you know, sometimes buying one to two ads on a show because they want to see, did that one show get some traction based on this whole kind of ecosphere of their overall campaign across podcasting. So to me, I think it's really important that you look at a couple of things. Number one, as an advertiser, are you looking at buying shallow and wide or are you looking at buying, you know, deeper and more narrow? So if you're only going to buy ads on four podcasts, then you need a higher frequency. The other thing to consider is that if you have no name recognition, then you're going to have to run more ads, period, right? If um, no one has ever heard of your company and your name doesn't tell us who you are, you know, I think it's this trend now to name your business this weird off the wall name that doesn't mean anything to anybody, right? So it's like, you have to, okay, I've I've never heard this weird word and I have no idea what this weird word is actually going to deliver. You're going to need to run more frequency than if we're advertising Ford or Allstate Insurance. Those are are institutional brands we already know about. So they can get away with a much different frequency. When do you think an advertiser should start looking for results? Because I heard Alex Bloomberg was interviewing somebody and they were talking about how they had legal zoom had done like a month of spots. And at the end Mm -hmm. of the month, they're like, Oh, we got to cancel. We're getting nothing. And then like two months later, they called back and said, wow, we're getting tons of traffic. We've got to put this back because it just took a while for people to listen to the episode. So what's, is there a typical turnaround or is that just one of those that depends as it always does in podcasting because of the, the relationship of the host with the, the audience. Hi, 
think that you should give campaigns at least a month, if not like 60 to 90 days. And that experience has happened to us before where I've had um, marketers call me like literally the day their ad went live and say, <laughs> we got nothing from this. You have to cancel. And I'm like, sorry, you can't cancel. You have a 30 day cancellation policy. And then call me back six months later and go, oh, actually that works really well. Can we do that again? And what it is, is that when we look at these numbers, the marketer is saying, oh, you're reaching 10,000 you know, people or you're getting 10,000 downloads. So then they assume, well, if you're getting that many downloads, then on Tuesday, when my ad hits, 10,000 people are listening to my ad. But that is simply not the way that podcasts are consumed. And so I, I think that... Marketers are so accustomed to things like Facebook, where they're buying a certain number of impressions in a really small window. So, you know, if you're running Facebook ads and you just reach 10,000 people and you got one click through, you better readdress what you're doing there <laughs> right now, you know. But with podcasts, it takes time for the message to get out there. And I tell advertisers up front that podcasts are a very slow moving medium. It's not something that you can start on a dime. But it also doesn't stop on a dime either, right? right. It's going to build momentum and eventually create some traction, but it does take time. And of course, the the ever other popular question that you've heard probably 8 million times, you, you, somebody comes to you and they go, hey, I have 10,000 downloads an episode. And you're like, great. You're like, what should I charge? What do you, how do you pick your price? Is there a, is there a magic uh, true native media dartboard that you just... <laughs> 45 a soup, you know. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, I mean, so when you look up like the industry standards, they'll say that, you know, CPMs range from 20 to 40 or $50 CPM. We have settled on a $30 CPM and I feel like it works well. Sometimes we need to negotiate down from that $30 CPM. Um, some advertisers um, and agencies are looking for lower rates. But again, I would always start a little higher and, and go lower. But then we have podcasts that sell out who are selling their shows at $60, $70 CPMs. And they're getting those ad rates, but it's because number one, their ads get results. So it is really important as a podcaster that you focus on how are you creating traction with your ads? And a lot of times I see podcasters that I think put so little effort into their ad reads. It's like, oh, well, they said I had to read this, so I guess I'm going to do it. And if you are going to address your ad reads like that, you're not going to get a lot of traction. You have to think about your ads just like you think about your content. Like what is your audience really interested in? And can you create a compelling story around this product for them? You know, and then can you maybe give the sponsor some extra love on a social media platform or include them on a place on your website? So, you know, have you created maybe a sponsors page where, you know, your listeners can go and find the offer codes easily? So, you know, I think that the CPM is relevant to the value that you're bringing the advertiser. And ultimately, companies want to make money and sell their products. And if you can, if they can invest $100 and make $500, they're going to do that. If they can invest $100,000 and make a million, they're going to do that, right? They'll pay whatever they need to pay as long as they're getting a return on their investment. So that's how we approach it. And is there any need to even... Like if I say, well, I don't want to do CPM, I'm going to do 
X amount of hundred, you know, per, per episode, does that even make any sense? Because everybody's just going to go, how many downs do, how many downloads do you have and convert it to CPM in their head? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's really important, especially if you're not in the advertising space to think about how a marketer thinks and how they're processing your information. So essentially the reason a CPM is important is that it levels the playing field. So if I want to reach a thousand people, how much am I paying to reach those thousand people? And if I can pay $5 to reach a thousand people and I get a 20% response rate on social media, why would I pay a $50 CPM on podcasts if I'm only getting a 2% response rate, right? So you have to think about it from the advertiser's perspective. And then you also have to establish what is the goal of the advertiser. I mean, if, if the advertiser is looking at getting a direct response and they're really tracking like their cost per acquisition, then that number is important. If they're looking at it because they like you, they like the content you've created, they're just looking at it as a strategic partnership, that number is going to be different. And as an individual podcaster, I think I think everybody gets really stressed out about CPMs. You know, yeah. when I go to conferences, podcasters are always like, ah, the CPMs and I don't know what to charge and, and all that. And the reality is, is that, again, it goes back to the level of the company that you're talking to. If you're talking to a huge corporation... CPMs matter a lot. If you're talking to a local, you know, maybe e-commerce business that manufactures essential oils, they don't care about CPMs, you right. know? So it, it really depends on who you're talking to. And a lot of times as podcasters, if you're just getting started creating a package for X number of dollars, you get so many podcast ads and so many um, banner ads and things like that, that can be really effective. And it's not centered around a CPM. Do you have any podcasters yet that are using podcasting? Like I'm going to advertise on other podcasts. Is anybody doing that yet? And if so, what kind of ballpark are we looking at to get involved? That is such a good question. And if, if I could double my staff, I would start a <laughs> part of our business where we just focused on that because podcast listeners listen to podcasts. And I think a lot of times when we're trying to grow our audiences, we think, oh, we're going to run Facebook ads or Instagram ads, or we're going to put it out there in our newsletter. And I've talked to so many people who just don't get any traction from that. And the way I look at it is really, you know, still less than 50% of the population act actually actively listens to podcasts, right? I mean, if we're looking at the stats of like, who has listened to a podcast? That's different than like, who's actively listening to shows. So I really always like to tell people that podcast listeners listen to podcasts. And so if you're interested in growing your audience, the best way, in my personal opinion, is to get in front of other podcast listeners. So I think podcast advertising to grow your podcast is a phenomenal idea. There are some challenges with it though, because uh, let's say you've got a great new podcast about parenting and you think, oh, well, I need to go on other parenting shows. Well, they might see you as a threat, you know, <laughs> why yeah. would they want to send listeners to your show? So I think that can be a little challenging to find people who are open to advertising your show. I think also the quality of your show can be in question, especially if you're a new show. How do they know that your show is going to continue to produce? And so there can be some challenges there. But advertising your podcast on another podcast is a really good idea. 
And I don't think you always need to have a huge budget to do something like that. I would start with cross promotion. You know, I think that that's the best way to do it, of course, when there's no money exchanged. Right. We've had podcasts invest multi thousands or, you know, multiple mm-hmm. thousands of dollars with us. And at the end of the day, I think it all depends on budget and the size of the show you're wanting to promote yourself on. Well, I already mentioned it. If you want to check it out, it's called Market Success with Podcast Advertising. Heather, thank you so much for coming on board. Again, everybody check her out, truenativemedia.com. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Dave. This was a lot of fun. I am going to be in Houston, Texas. Actually, let's back that up. I'm going to be in L.A. at Podcast Movement in February for Podcast Movement Evolutions. And then I'll be in Houston, Texas at the Spark Christian Podcast Conference. That's February 21st through the 22nd. I'll have links in the show notes for that. I'm also going to be in Baston in January, but that's one where a company is flying me in. I show up Friday night. They take me to dinner. Saturday, I wake up early. I'm going to do a three-hour session and then catching a flight back home. It's going to be fun. But uh, if you're in Baston, uh, maybe we'll figure out a way to uh, connect there. But uh, if you are looking for somebody to speak about podcasting at your event, schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact is where you go to, uh, whether it's email, voicemail, smoke signals, however you want to get a hold of me, that's how you do it, schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. If you like this show, could you do me a favor? And tell a friend. That's all I need. Just tell a friend, share it out wherever you're at and say, hey, especially if you know somebody who's interested in sponsorship. And if you know somebody who's looking to start a podcast, of course, schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener. In the future, we have an interview with the co-founder of Podchaser. And I'm going to be reviewing some noise reduction plugins that are on sale right now. Put a link to those out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 697. They're like something ridiculous, like 73% off. Subscribe to the show, schoolofpodcasting.com slash subscribe. Everything I just mentioned, contact me, subscriptions, everything there, schoolofpodcasting.com. Until next week, take care. God bless. Class is dismissed.